Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Rob Port here on 970 WDAY AM and 93.1 FM. Good afternoon, Natil, and happy Monday to you. Happy Monday, indeed. Another week has begun, and I'm sure there'll be plenty to talk about, even though Trump is on a not vacation. Yeah. Ugh. You know, the whole president going on vacation thing, I, I thought these stories were dumb when it was President Obama. Um, and I think they're dumb now. Uh, you know, I, it, it's, I mean, listen, first of all, the president is a human being and is deserving of some downtime. Well, absolutely. Uh, the, like, if he wants to take a vacation, he should take a vacation. But he's now, right. he's now calling it not a vacation. <laughs> and, and, well, let's be honest, too. The president is never really off duty, right? I mean... If something happens, you know, he can work from just about wherever he is, right? I mean, I guess the question is, like, security and stuff like that. But for the most part, if something goes down, the president always has the resources around him to do his job, right? So the president is is really always kind of sort of on duty. Uh, but, I mean, they are entitled to try to relax. I mean, they're a human being like anybody else. They're, they're, they're deserving of off time, uh, regardless of who it is. And, uh, you know, and also, like, as people freak out about the costs all the time. And, and to be fair, I, I think there are times when all presidents maybe get a little carried away. Um, but, I mean, that being said, the realities of the security that has to be around them at all times, it's just not cheap for them to travel anywhere. Right? So, I mean, they, they go, they literally can't go anywhere without having to take an entire entourage with them. A, so that they can be safe. And B, so that they can work if they need to work. So, I don't know. It's it's such a non-story. And and it always because the president, you know, it's always sort of this this late summer time, you know, because Congress recesses for August and the president typically takes a vacation. And so the the national press doesn't have a lot to do. And so these are the stories that we get. And, you know, if it's a Republican president, then the Democrats are are freaking out about the costs and the Republicans are defensive. And when it's a Democratic president, vice versa. And the whole thing is very stupid and has more to do with, you know, needing filler for news cycles than anything else. That's that's my that's my boring take on it. Uh, let's see. Coming up on this show today, though, we are going to it, this, now this is kind of a special special thing. I, I think that this is a, this is a lot of fun. Uh, Bob Dombach from uh, Prairie Public Television is going to be on. They're doing a project, and it's it's in conjunction. Ken Burns has a new documentary coming out about Vietnam. And, and do you like Ken Burns documentaries, Natil? Yes. You watch them? Yeah. Yes. I, I, th- I think they're fantastic. I mean, everything, baseball, the Civil War, he did one on Prohibition that was very good. Uh, his Dust Bowl documentary is excellent. I, I love him. I, but he's got one coming out about Vietnam. And so Prairie Public is doing a, uh, a project in conjunction with that. It's called Prairie Memories, the Vietnam War Years. And they're collecting the stories and photographs and documents and, and interviewing Vietnam veterans from our region, North Dakota, Minnesota. Uh, they're going to be traveling around the state. Uh, they got events coming up. Uh, I, I think they were just at the um, the State Historical uh, uh, Society Heritage Center in Bismarck uh, coming up here on Thursday and Friday, the 10th and 11th. Uh, they're going to be in Moorhead, uh, Minnesota, at the Hemcost Center in partnership with the Clay County Historical Society on Wednesday, October 16th. They're going to be at the North Dakota Veterans Home in Lisbon. Uh, Monday, uh, August 21st, they're going to be in Purim, Minnesota, at the ITOW Veterans Museum. 
uh, Wednesday, August 23rd, they're going to be in Minot. Thursday, August 24th, they're going to be at the three affiliated tribes a museum. That's August 24th through Friday, August 25th in Newtown. Uh, so they're going to be all over the place. They're gathering these stories. We're going to be talking with him about uh, that project coming up. And it's it's exciting. I mean, it's I, I think it's time. I mean, we're I, I, unfortunately, maybe this sounds a little grim, but as time marches on, we're going to start losing some of these veterans. We're already losing some of these veterans. And with them go their story. So it's we need to collect these. We need to preserve this history. It's 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 a part of us. So uh, that's going to be interesting. We're going to talk about that coming up here at uh, 1.30. Stay tuned for that. 701-293-9000 if you want to join the program. 888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. Uh, now, Natil, you remember on Friday we were talking about this debate over hate crime legislation. Yes, indeed. So... Basically, um, I wrote my my Sunday column about this, my Sunday print column about it, and I got, I got a response in, in 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 the form of a letter to the editor, and I got a lot of responses online on, on Facebook and everything else, and, and people making sort of predictable arguments for it. My argument against hate crime legislation is that it's it's not unlike the death penalty legislation, and that I I think it's just more about. I think it's more about a policy. It's more about how it makes us feel than anything else, right? I, I mean, I, I think the death penalty isn't really so much about. Although people try to justify it by saying that it deters crime and everything else, which honestly it doesn't. I think it's. I think it's more about retribution. I think it's vindictiveness. I think it's. I. I, I think it's. It's about us, the living, wanting to get tough on on particularly heinous crimes. I, I I don't think it's about the criminal. I think it's about supporters of the death penalty, and 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 them wanting them wanting to take out you know whatever on 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 the perpetrators of, of heinous crimes. I think hate crime legislation is the same thing. I don't think it accomplishes anything. Lots and lots of states have passed this. There is no correlation between creating hate crime legislation and reducing crime in any meaningful way. And so. I think then it becomes, it's about virtue signaling. It's about us. It's about politicians. It's about activists saying that they did something about hate and bigotry. Even though what they did is kind of low-hanging fruit, even though what they did is is ultimately meaningless, they did something. There was a letter to the editor today, and it, it, it kind of floored me a little bit. John Sherman from Moorhead uh, wrote this in a letter to the editor he uh, of the, the forum. He wrote, despite what Rob Port said in his August 6th column, there are at least two good reasons for North Dakota to enact hate crime legislation, to prevent, prevent repetitions and break up hate groups. The person who blows up one mosque is not likely to blow up a second. Putting him in prison for a very long time may not, as Port argued, provide general deterrent, but it does provide specific deterrent, and that somebody sitting in prison is not likely to blow up another mosque. Now, I don't know. I, it seems to me, Natil, like we already put people who blow up buildings in jail. Yeah, I right? think, I mean, I think if, that's a crime already. Right. So if you if you go and you blow up a building, I, well, for whatever reason, I mean, if you do it on purpose, I mean, assuming it wasn't like an accident, which would be another matter entirely, still a crime, but probably a lesser crime. But, I mean, if you go out and you purposely blow up a building because you want to destroy and or take life, you're already going to jail for a long time. Now, we can have a debate about whether or not the current laws that would apply to somebody blowing up a building are not sufficient to punish that person for blowing up a building. 
But this idea that we need hate crime legislation because somebody having blown up one mosque is not going to blow up another mosque because they're in jail. Well, we're already putting people who blow up mosques in the jail. I mean, that's the whole problem with hate crime legislation is we are recriminalizing that which is already criminal. By the way, his second point is some people who commit hate crimes are lone wolves, but some are part of hate groups, and hate crime legislation makes it easier to crack down on them. And again, I I mean, I I think that's a little bit dubious. I I, I think it's important. I would be okay with tracking metrics on on hate crimes, and I, I think I've been clear about that, and I wrote about that in my Sunday column. I have no problem collecting data on hate crimes, on defining what a hate crime is, and then counting the crimes that meet that definition so that we can understand who is committing them and why they're committing them and where they're happening and and things like that. I have no problem at all with tracking that. So I don't dispute that. My problem is let's create a classification for hate crime and then tie additional punishment to it. I mean, to me, no, a crime is a crime. We don't need to recriminalize something that is already criminal. We don't need to further complicate the criminal code by adding in these these tiered sentencing guidelines or, or whatever they're going to be. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think we're going to cure hate by putting more people in jail because I, I don't know about the rest of you, but I don't think hate is something that gets addressed when you're in jail, right? I mean, if, if somebody gets convicted of a hate crime and then you send them to jail and you put them in jail even longer, are they going to come out less likely to hate? Again, like I said on Friday about this, I think the solution for quote-unquote hate crimes starts in our schools, it starts in our homes, it starts in our churches, it starts in our civic groups. By the time somebody's committed a hate crime, it's too late. Hate crime legislation, I'm sorry to say, just doesn't work. Love to hear what you think. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. We'll be back after this. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob Report on 970 WDAY, 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. So, uh, and until, uh, listen, listen to this, I don't know, I don't know if you've heard this story. Uh, <laughs> I'm reading this uh, from the Washington Examiner. Uh, headline, male makeup counters may be coming in five to seven years, according to Industry Insider. Uh, quoting from the article, one beauty insider, one excuse me, one beauty industry leader believes male makeup counters at pharmacies and department stores could be a reality by 2022. In an interview with the Daily Telegraph, this May Sharma, L'Oreal's managing director in the UK, predicted makeup counters targeted at male consumers could be reality in just five to seven years. Uh, Sharma credited the selfie generation with eroding taboos that have long kept men away from cosmetics. Uh, today you have a very small proportion of men who want to use makeup products, but that proportion is growing and it will continue to grow. Sharma explained, I think it's just awareness. Two things are happening. Men know that they know they can use makeup and they know what it does when you use it. Uh, the second thing is that the taboos are going. So between my generation and my son's generations, the taboos are very different. He contended. 
Um, Natil, I'm I'm dubious. I'm I'm. <laughs> You're also in the generation above where this is probably happening more often. Maybe, but I here's one reason why I'm skeptical is they're talking about cosmetic counters in department stores. Who says we're still going to have department stores around in five years? Well, and yeah, and that's that's one thing. But, you know, I, I'm assuming what they're driving at is that wherever you're going to be buying makeup in five to seven years, there might be some targeted toward men. Right. So and, and listen, I'm not being judgmental here. Whatever turns your crank. I'm not. If, if, if you're a dude and you want to wear makeup, I'm not going to judge you. You know, if you if it makes you feel good or whatever, you know, I, I'm not here to judge you. All right. It's not my not my cup of tea, but to each their own. Um, what I'm a little skeptical here is, is I'm wondering if this isn't a cosmetics industry giant trying to create a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Because if you're L'Oreal, right, most of the women are already using makeup, right? Most women already use makeup to one degree or another. The great untapped market is men. Right. So why not? Why not create? Oh, this is going to be a trend. All these men are going to start using makeup. Right. And, and try to and try to lure men into the market. I, I think that's what's going on here. I, I think I, I, I think this is this is the egg trying to create a chicken. I, I, th- I think I that's don't what's know. going on. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I could be wrong. I mean, there could be great. I have worn makeup. Uh, I, I've done a couple of TV uh, spots where I had to put makeup on and I actually had to bring my daughter with to put the makeup on me. Which was an awkward experience for both of us that I think we'd rather rather forget. Seven zero one two nine three nine thousand eight 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 nine seven zero nine three two nine. Email talk at wday.com. Steve wants to talk about the hate crime legislation topic from the previous segment. Go ahead, Steve. What's up, Steve? Steve, are you there? Steve, you're on. You're on air. I'm going to go with he's gone. I can hear him. I think I could hear him. I don't know. Well, Steve, you were on for a minute. You had your chance to weigh in. But uh, you missed it. And this is also from that Washington Examiner article, getting back to the uh, whole makeup for men thing. Uh, for some historical context, in 2013, Kourtney Kardashian caught her then-boyfriend Scott Disick dipping in her, into her makeup supply on an episode of Keeping Up with the Kardashians. Disick, still a slave to the so-called taboos Sharma identified, insisted he was only using tinted moisturizer. If society sheds its antiquated concept of beauty, not only will Disick be free to admit tinted moisturizer is, in fact, makeup, but men like him will be able to cover their faces in foundation and powder and who knows what else. Guys, but does that mean that careful. I can does, does that mean that I can not wear makeup and be OK? I, I'm fine with it. You, you do what you <laughs> want, Natil. Whatever makes you happy. Caller, Virgil, you're on the line. What's up? Calling regarding to the hate crimes, it does uh, help. It helps create more work for law enforcement. Yeah. And well, that's not a we good do, thing. We do have uh, crimes on the books for murder and different things. If they're not happy with the sentence, increase the sentences to the ones we already have instead of create more work for law enforcement to try to sift through all this. Do you agree with me, Virgil? I, I look at this, and I, I think this is more about – this is more about virtual signaling for the people who are behind this sort of legislation. This is more about politicians and activists being able to sort of hold press conferences and, you know, thump their chests about what they got done than it is about producing real outcomes. Yeah, it's that. And it's for the ones that are, you know, want to make me feel good things. You know, they went out and accomplished something, and all they did was accomplish creating more work and 
costs because of the legal time it takes with lawyers and everything else. I think it's just ridiculous. Yeah, well, it's it's an additional because you already see that like with the death penalty, right? So somebody creates a you know, some somebody commits a capital crime, and there's that question immediately. You know, are is our prosecutors going to seek the death penalty, right? And that becomes sort of an additional step, an, an additional, uh, you know, consumer of time in that what, what is already an extremely complicated, for a lot of excellent reasons, process uh, establishing guilt or innocence. You know, are, are you going to seek the death penalty? So, uh, you know, you already have that, and, and it creates its own sort of sort of political gravity because you know you have some prosecutors who you know sort of grandstand on it and they're seeking the death penalty all, all the time and others don't want to do it uh and it's there on the books and 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 prosecutors sometimes you know depending on where you're at and are, are elected i mean it, it creates its own sort of political and, and i i think hate crime legislation does the same thing because now again you're, you're putting another thing you know before the prosecutors are you going to treat this as a hate crime or not a hate crime or whatever i think it adds political considerations and complications that we don't need for no real good reason at all thanks for the call virgil hey we're going to talk about that vietnam project i was talking a little bit earlier coming up next with bob dombach from prairie public television this is the rob report on 970 wday am and 93.1 fm we'll be right back don't go away Welcome back, Rob Report on 970 WDAY AM and 93.1 FM. My guest now is uh, Bob Dombach from Prairie Public Broadcasting. He's the director of television. They have an interesting program going on, Prairie Memories, the Vietnam War Years. It's a, a regional project they're doing in conjunction with a Ken Burns documentary regarding the Vietnam War, and they're collecting stories and and other types of history from Vietnam War veterans in the region, uh, and, and preserving it and and sharing it with everybody. Bob, thanks for your time today. Well, thank you so much for inviting me on. And indeed, you're right, Rob. We are uh, trying to collect stories, and this is veterans are a big part of it. But we're also collecting stories from all different people who experienced the uh, Vietnam War, whether it was at home or in Southeast Asia. And um, I'm, I'm really excited about this. Um, we almost missed out on getting stories from World War II vets. We were, you know, kind of on the late side of that. And I want to make sure that uh, we don't let uh, these wonderful stories, uh, important stories that Vietnam vets and other people have about Vietnam go, by, you know, go by the wayside. Do you feel this is a little bit different? Because America, I mean, you just referenced, and I wanted to ask you this question because you referenced, you know, World War II, and then yeah, even before that, World War One, and I think Americans have a much different feeling about World War Two than they do Vietnam. I mean, there's a political context, and obviously, I mean, the intent here is just. To collect and preserve the history. I mean, how people right. feel about the Vietnam War is, uh, is even, obviously even up to them, in but... the we did thirteen interviews last week in Bismarck, right. and even uh, when we did that, uh, all thirteen people had um, somewhat different stories. Some of them were vets. Uh, a couple of people were in the protest movement. Uh, it uh, it really was a war that I think veterans of Vietnam. 
feel like they were underappreciated, without a doubt, that there were no um, parades when they came home. And there were at least four of the veterans that we interviewed uh, last week that had never talked about their Vietnam experiences before, and three of them never mentioned to people that they were even veterans and served in in Vietnam. It was just something they wanted to put behind them. Um, I'm glad they all came forward. Uh, I think it was a Two of them sent me the best emails I've ever gotten in my life about how this was a, a cleansing experience for them, how it got you know the monkey off their back, and they were finally able to talk about their experiences over in Vietnam. So uh, for me, it was a very special moment, to be quite honest. My my father is, is a Vietnam War veteran, and I'm actually sitting here. I have his medals from that war hanging uh, on my wall. Uh, he earned a, a silver star, was awarded a, a silver star, four bronze stars, three purple hearts. And I, I, I could tell you, he he rarely talks about it. Um, to this day, I, I don't really know 100% the stories behind those medals. He, he doesn't like to talk about them. He's extremely reticent about it. If, if you were talking to him, he would talk about his law enforcement careers. He would talk about mm-hmm. a laundry list of things. Before he ever got to his military service, which was which was highly highly decorated. I mean, people don't get a lot. They don't hand out a lot of silver stars. They don't. A lot of no. people don't earn four bronze stars. And, and well, yet we he need just, to, we need just to get him involved. If when you come through my woods, there when you come through my that's our plan. To me, and I got to yeah. do a personal note on this. Uh, right before my dad died, about a year or so before he died, I finally got him to talk about World War II. Um, which was was such a, a tremendous moment for me. He was a prisoner of war for two years, uh, shot down over France. And basically, as we were growing up as a kids, we knew he was in the war, and that was it. You know, he never talked about it, never talked about his Purple Heart, never talked until, as I said, just right, a couple of years before his death. And, and if we can get people, I, I think it's important because – People like your father, people like the people that we've talked to so far, um, th- there is a moment where where it allows them to exhale. You know, they tell their story, they get it out there, and it's no longer something that, that is sort of holding them back. And quite honestly, for their families, as as it would be for you, it's a it's a just a tremendous moment when when they're able to share that that information with a family member. And have, quite have honestly, you... we're trying to share their stories with people throughout the region. Uh, I'm going to go back to the Ken Burns thing real quick. It is sure. a monster of a documentary. It's ten parts. It's eighteen hours. Starts on September seventeenth, runs all the way through September twenty eighth. But at the back end of all ten of those episodes, we will be showing broadcasting the stories that we collect over the next couple of weeks. People in our area telling us about their experiences, whether it be in Vietnam or here on the home front. Well, I mean, obviously the local stories are, are going to be huge for those of us in this region. And, and also, I, I have yet to, to come across a Ken Burns documentary that wasn't worth the time to, to sit down and watch. So uh, uh, I would so, agree with you. And yeah. I'm biased, but I would agree with you for sure. 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329. If you want to join the program, email talk at WDAY.com. I, I wanted to get back because I, I do think it's really interesting. And I, I think I think Vietnam among all of, of, of the conflicts that, that, that America's been involved with is, is a very unique uh, sort of a situation. 
I, I know with my father, he part of his reticence to talking, I, I think, is 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 rooted in a in a lack of of trust, maybe in in how people are going to respond to it or how people are going to to react to it or or. I think he's still carrying some wounds from when he came home, and and I don't know that the veterans were necessarily appreciated all that much. Have you run into that? I mean, are, are there people who are just sort of scared to to speak out because they're afraid of what you're going to do with their stories, fairly uh, or unfairly? I, I think the people that that are uh, that we're talking to, some of them have never talked before, so this is sort of like a first step. Uh, and I asked a couple of them why, and a couple of them just said it was about time or they've been thinking about this for, for a while, and this is an opportunity for them. Um, somehow, I, it, it's surprising to me, but somehow they thought that talking to me in front of the camera was less threatening than, let's say, talking to you. You know, you're the son in, yeah. in the living room. It, it just gave them a, a sort of neutral way of sharing their story. And to them, it's an important story, too. You know, down deep, they, they feel the importance of it. But I do come back to the reception that uh, people had coming back. And this is my generation. Uh, I didn't go to Vietnam, but I, this is my generation. And, you know, in some places... People said they got a good reception, especially in North Dakota. But some of them getting off the plane well, out in California, let's say, um, were shocked and surprised because when they were in Vietnam, they had very, especially if you're up front, they had very little information about what was coming back, what was happening here in, in the United States and the protests that were going on. So they're coming off the plane, and their first reaction is is this negative sort of over the top reaction. Now, at the same time, when I was in college, I had veterans that two houses of veterans on either side of me, and, you know, uh, they were just like the rest of us in college. Um, yeah. Some of them, you know, didn't want to talk about it. Some of them would tell you night and day about their experiences. You know, it just depended on, I guess, I guess if they felt wounded or not, like you mentioned. So, so tell me more about people who may be listening to this, who may have stories or may know people who have stories, may know veterans or are veterans that want to participate. How do they go about through? And I, I know you've got events coming up. You were just at... Uh, the State Historical uh, Heritage Bismarck, Center in Bismarck. Yeah. yeah, you're coming up uh, at, at the Hemcost Center in Moorhead, uh, August yeah. 10th and, and 11th, uh, 9 a.m. to 8 p.m. on the 10th, 9 a.m. to 6 right. p.m. on the 11th. Uh, coming up Wednesday, the Veterans Home in Lisbon. Then August 21st, you're going to be uh, at the Veterans Museum in Purim. Uh, mine out on August 23rd. But I, I, for people who can't necessarily, I mean, if, if they want to coordinate, can they coordinate with you? Can they reach out to somebody? Yeah, that, and, that's the whole thing. I'm going to give uh, two things to everyone okay. right now. Um, give you a second, but here is, it's like, uh, it's not like going to the dentist in one way, but you have to make an appointment so that we, okay. we have slots available so that each person gets roughly a half an hour to come in and be interviewed. We have uh, the ability to do two people at the same time in two different rooms in every location. Uh, so we can handle, you know, pretty much everyone's schedule. Um, but they, they do need to contact us or leave us a message so we can get back to you. The way to do it is either right now or later on, you can dial our toll-free number, 1-800-359-6900. That is the regular Prairie Public toll-free number. Or you can visit just our regular website, uh, prairiepublic.org. And when you go there, there is a, a button, if you will, or a box that says, 
uh, Prairie Memories, the Vietnam War years. You click on that, then then there's a sheet where you fill out information, and we will then contact you. We'll call you up. If you leave your phone number, we'll call you up, and we will then schedule you for a time, whether it be in the upcoming uh, events in the OMCOM Center where we have quite a few openings we'd love to fill the next uh, the end of this week on Thursday and Friday, Wednesday at the uh, August 16th at the North Dakota Veterans Home in Lisbon, North Dakota. I'm going to take an aside here. We visited that on Friday, last Friday, to set up our site visit. It is a tremendous, tremendous resource in North Dakota, um, and everyone in North Dakota should be proud of it and know about it. I don't know if you've ever been out there, Rob, but it might be worth a trip someday. Um, it's and then place. we're at the ITOW Veterans Museum in Perm, Monday, August 21st. Wednesday, we're still trying to set up the exact location in uh, Minot on Wednesday, August 23rd. And then we're at uh, Newtown at the Three Affiliated Tribes Museum, Thursday, August 24th, and Friday, August 25th. All right. And, and when uh, when can we expect, when, when is this airing? I mean, for, first the Ken Burns documentary, which in and of itself is going to be worth, and then obviously after each episode of that, the, the local content. When can and, we and then we're going to gather all that local content, and um, the Wednesday or Thursday before Veterans Day in November, uh, yet to be t- determined, we're going to have at least two and maybe three half-hour shows where we uh, collect um, – uh, the majority of the of the interviews that we do and uh, put them together. The other thing I should mention is that all of this material will be shared on the um, uh, a couple different websites. Uh, WETA, who sponsors the Ken Burns Show uh, in Washington, has a website sharing veteran stories. Uh, we have a Minnesota Public Television Association, of which we're part, uh, sharing stories of all vets in North Dakota and Minnesota, um, and then we. We have a Digital Horizons website, which is uh, both Prairie Public, uh, Concordia College, the State Archives, the State Library, and the Institute for Regional Studies. We all team up to create uh, Digital Horizons, and all of the stories will be there, as well as we're putting these stories on the Prairie Public YouTube channel as well. So um, we're going to be quite busy getting all this stuff together and getting it out, and we do want uh, to get it out in as many places as possible and share it with as many people as possible. Wonderful. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm hoping to get my father out to participate when you guys roll through Minot, so we'll, we'll be watching for that. And, and thank you for your time today, Bob. And thank you so much for letting people know this is happening, and I hope your dad can be one of our participants. Well, I, I hope so, too. And it's, it's such a wonderful project, preserving this history. It, it's Whatever you think of it, I mean, we all have different points of view and different political points of view, but but the history, the stories need to be preserved. Thanks, Bob. Appreciate it. I do it. want to say one thing. I think yes, sir. the Vietnam War, a lot of people call it decisive, but it's such an important event in American history, and that's the story that we want to tell. And, and, and not as well understood, I think, as some. I, I think oh. a, lot of our, a lot of our points of view are shaped by so much of the popular entertainment you know the movies and the tv shows and the music and everything around it and i'm i'm not sure we've heard enough yet from from the the primary sources the soldiers themselves so bob again thank you i I I can't tell you just we only did 13 interviews i learned so much uh from those 13 people and i'm going to learn from the, the next 60 that we end up doing i bet all right well i got to go to a break thanks for your time we'll be right back on the rob report after this don't go away
Welcome back. Rob Report on 970 WDAY AM and 93.1 FM. I'm excited for this documentary of uh, the Ken Burns documentary and the uh, and the local content as well. I, it's um, again, I, I think so much of the Vietnam War, I, I think until particularly for our generation, you know, we didn't live through that time. It's it's really colored by the movies, you know, Platoon and and I mean all the movies that have come out about Vietnam and and the music in that era and uh, there's so much around it and I I think it maybe obscures the primary sources. I mean, I mean, I, I really feel like maybe this isn't at least not on this scale. I, I don't feel like this has been something that's been done all that well to date. Uh, and maybe this, maybe this will change it. I mean, maybe this will help us understand what was a, an extremely divisive moment in our country a little bit better. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you there. I, I don't think that we in, in our generation, or at least in, in my generation can fully grasp the, the plight that these veterans went through when they came back home. Because, you know, my generation, our, you know, big start into war was the Iraq War. And we, we saw those veterans coming back home as heroes, you know, right. in, in Iraq and Afghanistan. Even, I, mean, that, that, I mean, again, you're talking about a, a very divisive, I mean, the, the politics around the war in Iraq and, and to a lesser degree the war in Afghanistan were extremely divisive. Right. But I yeah, mean, but we didn't. But we didn't have that same. We didn't take reaction. it out on the troops. Yeah. So we didn't take it out on the troops. So being able to to have that experience brought to us, I think, will be very valuable. I mean, and there's also another contingent in, in that a lot of the people who went to Vietnam were drafted. I mean, the, the, the Iraq War, the Afghanistan War, that was a volunteer military. I mean, those are people who signed up to serve in the military. Now, whether they wanted to be deployed or not, I guess maybe it's a different matter. But they they voluntarily signed up. They 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 joined the military on their own. My father was drafted. Uh, my my father, as, as a matter of fact, got into a little bit of trouble in Alaska and was essentially told by a judge, "You can either uh, you can either uh, go to Vietnam or or pay some of the criminal consequences for, oh, for you being a, a dumb a dumb college student." And my dad chose Vietnam. Now, <laughs> uh, and, and and to this day, he he credits it with with shaping him up. Um, I'm not sure if he'd make that choice again or not, but uh, he, he says, you know, he, he says the military got him on track and, and certainly he's been successful. But it's there's so many parts of it. And, and I think it's so important to understand these moments in history and, and to cut through some of the popular media. We can't let movies and, and, and things like that dictate what our history is that's it for me today jay thomas show straight ahead i'll be sticking around for that you can always catch me here 1 to 2 p.m monday through friday or 24 hours a day seven days a week at sayanythingblog.com north dakota's most popular political blog thanks for listening we'll talk again